Before we get going, I'd like to say thank you to the people and companies that support this show. The first is Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, you should be doing it at Bull Bitcoin. It's a non-custodial exchange with a focus on privacy. When you make the order, you input your own self-custody receive address, which means as soon as the order is completed, it goes right to you. You don't assume any of the exchange risk. The guys at Bull Bitcoin are also behind BitcoinSupport.com. This is for those of you who need some help getting your self-custody arrangement set up properly in a manner that's both secure, but also easy to manage and engage with. They have a number of different packages available based on your needs. So check them out at BitcoinSupport.com and find the one that's right for you. Also, CoinKite, the makers of the famous cold card hardware wallet. The latest edition, the MK4, recently dropped. It has a USB-C connector, NFC tap functionality, dual secure elements, and lots of other great features that many of us have come to expect and love from ColdCard and CoinKite that help you to optimize your Bitcoin security setup. Visit coldcard.com to learn more about the MK4 and visit coinkite.com to learn more about all their other awesome products for helping you to secure and have fun with your Bitcoin. Let's do it. All right, well, Liam, we're live, man. Uh, thanks for, yeah, good to meet you. for coming on and having a chat. Absolutely, I'm a fan, so. Well, thanks, man. I This came about because we, I, uh, tweeted out a few weeks ago, as I like to do and have been doing, well, as a result of that tweet, I guess I've done a bunch lately, but it's just so great. I mean, most of us know by now that Bitcoiners are awesome, right? They're the people that you want to hang out with and have conversations with and figure shit out with. And, yeah. uh, you know, you hit me up and said, you'd be down to jump on a call. And you sent me a message about how you've been thinking about proof of work and how you're seeing it kind of everywhere you look these days. So I thought that was reason enough to, to get together and have a chat. Yeah. And now proof of work is such, it's kind of a big, like it's a, it's a first principle things, I guess, but it's really big. And, and it kind of is one of the main differentiators between like a fiat, you know, fake thing and a real thing. Um, so that's been just kind of like fodder for introspection. Um, Cause that was a new concept to me. I'd never considered proof of work, you know? And then when I dived into hearing how like every Bitcoin had to be discovered or mined, right. It, you know, none were kind of uh, thrown out there. And then you start thinking, well, everything of value needs work, right? Like a house to build a house. It needs work. Um, really, and I know I mentioned rock walls, like the, just anything, you know, anything engineered, it takes time and, and energy <clears throat> for it to manifest. So that's just kind of an interesting lens to look at things. And that's been part of why I'm a little altered. So I've been, I've been into Bitcoin maybe for two years now. And, um, and I've, I kind of wanted to ask you, how long have you been in the space? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, uh, I've got some more questions for you based off that. Okay. But I, um, the general story is basically, I'd been following it for a long time. Like, I, <clears throat> I don't remember exactly what year this was right now, but I remember when it hit like parity with the US dollar. So it hit like $1 per Bitcoin and it was like kind of a big deal at the time. Yeah. Um, 
and I wasn't, you know, and I'd been, I, I, I was so ideologically aligned with what it represented. I just didn't have the faith that it could persist and become what it was aspiring to become at the time. Right. And so I was, and I was gold bug at the time and thought like gold was the answer, albeit a very imperfect one. And, um, and then I kept watching and my first exposure was to Andreas and like, I think um, another one of these pleb plebcasts I did a few days ago, um, I'm not sure who it was, but they said the same thing where it was, I mean, I understood a lot of the subject matter that Andreas was talking about, but there was some technical aspects that were, that I couldn't really follow him on, but the sincerity by which he spoke was the thing that most made me pay attention you know, because you, you listen to all sorts of people on YouTube. And yeah. I remember back in the day, you know, you had the anarchists and the gold people and these people and the, the doom and gloom, like next year, this is when it happens. It all melts next year. And there was always like a, they were they were a little bit too into their own persona or they were a little too egotistical or they weren't humble enough or whatever. And in Andreas, I, I just saw someone that was seemed to be doing their best to speak as truthfully as they could about something that they felt was deeply meaningful and that rubbed off on me and then anyways long story short i had like you know i was like okay this is definitely worth investigating but it was a bit of legwork to acquire some at the time and you know i guess i'm a lazy person so i didn't put in the legwork <laughs> and and then i was on a trip in bali and i can't remember it was 14 or 15 i think it might have been 2015 and they actually had a physical store there and, and that's when i went in and picked up my first bitcoin and you know it's been a Wow. A very interesting journey ever since. Well, if you're ideologically already aligned, then you're way ahead of me because I was just like a normal person believing <laughs> the narrative until two years ago. So well, what happened? I mean, how, yeah. how did, because if it was a more dramatic shift, I'm always interested in hearing the stories about how the shift occurred. Okay. So I don't know if you remember, um, the, when the volcano was going off on the big island of Hawaii, like there was a, it was just like two and a half years ago, I think. And like a whole town got wiped out. And I was following this guy who was like live posting videos of these raging rivers of lava. And so it's totally chance, okay? Because one time he, it wasn't even Twitter. I wasn't even on Twitter, it was Facebook. And one day, you know, in a, in amongst the uh, the lava, the amazing lava videos this guy was posting, or lava as we used to say in Canada, um, he 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 posted like, oh, if anybody is interested in Bitcoin, now would be a good time to get in. I think the price dropped from twelve thousand to eight thousand or something. So I was like. I, I think it had popped into my into my ears, you know, randomly in two or three places, but very minimally. Like I remember, what is that? It's like scam money, you know, the, the classic right. initial bullshit that you hear. Um, so that's when that's when I started, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about wallets, the blockchain, or whatever. And so I guess it was just all you podcasters, literally, I spent, you know, more than an hour a day for a year listening. Stefan Levera, um, you know, Marty Bent, Andreas, uh, and then you would be the, like the more philosophical 
world kind of a thing. So yeah, it's taken a while, but I'm a curious person. So as soon as I got latched onto it, I was like, holy shit, this is so fucking cool. And you know, then I, and it was so weird. It's so weird, right? It's like, it's really strange. And, and then there's, there's kind of a, a lot of generosity in all of it. Um, the open source nature, you know, all the wallet stuff is, it's freely. So in Buddhism, which I've been like a light, a light follower of, there's this notion of things that are freely offered. Um, the Buddhist teachings are freely offered and then you're encouraged to support your teachers in however way you feel is appropriate. But so much of this uh, ecosystem of Bitcoin was just being freely offered. I just, you know, when, when we're in such a world that's very controlled and gate, gate kept um, and, you know, subscription fees for this. And so it was just, you know, I'd never heard of GitHub. I'd never, so that was a whole thing. The open source uh, world was just kind of like, wow, these people are literally committing thousands of hours of work and it's all freely offered. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm kind and, of babbling, but no, no, but, bab, bab, babble away. But um, <laughs> like, were you, <clears throat> were you put off initially when, cause a lot of people, especially these days where, cause back in 2015, well, first of all, like Bitcoin Twitter wasn't as big and uh, a going concern as it is now. And so right. like there wasn't so much to put you off of Twitter if you were a sensitive sort of type and and the laser eyed folk, uh, for whatever reason, might uh, offend your sensibilities. Let's put it that way. And so yeah. did, was there any aspect of that like coming in where you like you got on Twitter and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Look, what, what is all this craziness that's happening? Uh, like you must be talking about American HODL. <laughs> well you, but, you know uh, every, what, what everyone is like yeah, you know, I know. On, on twitter it's a it's I a madhouse him, in many way. ways i just gotta put it out there who doesn't love american hodl like he's got a good heart right <laughs> um he does he does no but that was part of it like all the characters um you know like i have a theater background so who doesn't love wacky characters i mean come on um but but even in all of these wacky characters, there's this through line of incisive wisdom, you know, and and like clearing out the fog of, of, of narratives to get to, you know, like mathematical truth or whatever, philosophical self-evident truth. That, that, sh that was everywhere I looked essentially. And I agree with you, um, Antonopoulos, uh, great speaker, very clear communicator, um, and uh, powerful per persuader. Mm. So yeah, the, the Twitter gang, I, I kind of loved. And I, I live on Maui, uh, which is fairly isolated intellectually. And so I was just like, Oh, this is so cool. And then also COVID um, kind of put a little microscopic focus on that. And they kind of became, you know, like a, a 
a community. I, I'm just a lurker, but still, I'm like, it was so weird going to the Bitcoin conference and seeing all these people and going, oh my God, there's, there's a, you know, whatever. It's just like seeing these people in person and seeing a uh, FOSS like blow up on stage and, and, uh, but it must be weird for you guys because you are kind of like, you know, celeb Bitcoin celebrities, but you don't know the plebs, right? What do you mean? Know them? Like, well, like th there's personally? like, there's just so many people watching you. So it's, it's, just, it's that whole celebrity weirdness of where your face is in front of thousands and thousands of people. Um, but it, you know, you, it's, it's, you don't know them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful from my perspective because I, I don't know what it's like to be and celebrity might not be the right word, but I know what you mean. Like by virtue of the fact that some of us produce content or are, you know, yeah. we're more known than a lurker, for example. But so I don't know what it's like to be that in a different capacity, like in Hollywood or in whatever, but here, I mean, it's just authenticity is like the main thing here, like being true to yourself and being true to your intellectual pursuits and being truthful in your speech to the extent that you can, like that seems to be one of the highest values that's permeating this group of people that are coalescing. And what's awesome yeah. about that is like, it means you just get to be yourself. And so if, 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 when I would like at the conference, when people would come up to me and want to say hi or thank you or what have you, like they know what I'm about already. And that means like we can just fast forward like all through them getting to know what I'm about. And then by virtue of the fact that like we're, we're so if you're like a crazy Bitcoiner, maximalist sort of person, like you, you already de facto know that you line up on certain like core values, really, you know, yeah. like core values of truth and freedom and fairness and this kind of stuff. And so. It's all like, and I've joked about this before with like some of the guys on the hangout, but within, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's, it's, it's instant. Like someone will come up and be like, Hey, I just wanted to say thank you. And like within two seconds of just noticing their vibe, I'm like, we're like, we're homies now. And you know, yeah, it's in. all like hugs and cool. And, and then it's just a matter of like, there's, there's so much going on that you don't have enough, like. I wish there was more time to hang out with everybody. Right. Cause everyone's so yeah. great, you know, and, and cool and, and smart and humble. And it's just an awesome group of people. And so it's that for that reason, it's, it's, it's very cool. Like the quote unquote celebrity aspect of all this. Um, cause you get, cause to me, like relationships are, I guess the most valuable thing in life. Um, yeah. Know, even be even even beyond Satoshi's even, and especially when the relationships where both parties are sincerely being themselves, and you you line up on on the values that you hold most dearly, and you just you get to have great conversations, and you get to build trust, and you get to you know just enjoy different experiences together. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and and yeah. the fact that that by virtue of doing this, like now I can extend my best friend group from like five people to 50 or 500 people. It's like, it's such a blessing. It is. And it's kind of, I, I remember listening to a conversation you had with someone where you were talking about religion and how Bitcoin, it really is a religion and I, not in the negative sense of that word, but <laughs> you know, like I wasn't much of a church person until I came to Maui and this, 
this really sweet family invited me to church once because I was a piano, I was their piano teacher. And, you know, being like a gay guy, you're kind of like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go to church <laughs> just because like gay, you know, typically gays in church are kind of like, you know, and, um, but it was a really cool church. It wasn't an anti-gay church or anything. And I got to see the affinity that they all had. So it was like, it was like the church rather than serving a purpose of, you know, pounding the Bible. It was, uh, it was like a weekly gathering of community members and you'd be like, Oh, let, you know, auntie needs help. You know, she broke her hip. So can somebody go get her food? And, um, so in that way, I, I, I think Bitcoin is like that. Like, it's, it's such a it's such a clear and focused um, set of values uh, that are based off mathematics, I guess, and truth. And we live in in a world that's so full of delusion and obfuscation and and manipulation um, that it, you're kind of like you know oh we've reached the promised land because. <laughs> Because uh, other people are, are seeing this the way I see it. Mm-hmm. And the mainstream media would not have you believe that other people see things. So, yeah, I get it. I get, I get the fervor and the zealotry behind it. Um, and I think, we have, I think we have to be aware of that um, so as not to, you know, like scare people people off because you can get you can get a little too uh really it's excitement and it's authentic excitement but it can come off as like whoa yeah Yeah. well my so one's the i talk a lot of course lately about you know the deeper aspects of bitcoin and philosophy and its uh relation to religion and the overlap and all that kind of stuff. But it's really interesting that, as you say, I mean, people are, are converging on this, but the, the values are implicit, you know, in religion, they're explicit. It's like, you know, these are the core values and this is how you should be thinking about it. And if you agree, perhaps you become part of the community or the religion or whatever. But with Bitcoin, it's like a a shelling point for values. It's like people are seeing themselves without anybody explicitly or dogmatically telling them anything about what it is they're coming to appreciate it for what it is and they're noticing that other people are doing doing the same thing and they're converging on it on that basis and i think that's organically yeah and it's super unique and and you know to the point about overdoing the excitement i mean i'm I'm definitely guilty of that sometimes but (laughs) i'm not sure I'm not sure it's a bad thing, you know, like, first of all, I'm not afraid of scaring everybody, anybody off in Bitcoin, because, you know, my, uh, my uh, opinion has always been like, if your search for truth, or if your curiosity, shall we say, is so susceptible to being thrown off course by either mean people on the internet, internet, or crazy people on the internet, then maybe you're not ready to you know, maybe the pursuit isn't that genuine. Maybe you're not that dedicated to the pursuit, you know, because for me, like, I don't care if, if someone's mean or nasty or overdoes it. I mean, you know, I'm I'm best friends with Eric Kaysen, for example. And like at the, <laughs> at the Bitcoin conference, like he's just arms flailing, like he's yelling at like 5x the necessary volume and he's saying all sorts of crazy shit. 
And I'm just standing next to him, like loving it and seeing people's reactions to it. So I think, you know, what's beautiful about this is one, we are converging, as I said, but two, everyone is still able to, to digest it and express it in whatever way they think is right and true. And then if we all do that, then we'll probably end up by virtue of our interactions and observations of one another, kind of continue to refine our understanding of what this thing and what the appropriate response to it is or should be, you know, and should it be more zealous, you know, or should it be more reserved? And like, we only kind of going to figure that out if we, we, you know, we try it, right. We have examples of, of approaching it that way and we see which ones resonate with us and on we move. Yeah. And also Bitcoin doesn't care about our zealotry, you know, which is great. And, Um, you know, I think it's great because obviously it's the case that in the modern era, and maybe this has always been the case. I mean, culture has always served to restrain our behavior to a certain degree so that we can, you know, get along with everybody else and coordinate our activities and and stuff like that. But, you know, the benefit of fuck you money, you know, having your life force, stored in a way that nobody can can fuck with it nobody can distort it steal it etc is that i mean individuals are set free you can you're you're more free to be yourself because you're less susceptible to somebody you know doing something to you that's going to restrict or restrain your potential in the future right whether it's because they're going to they're going to fire you from your job they're going to shut off your bank account they're going to inflate your money all that goes away and so What's super interesting, maybe even the most interesting thing about this phenomenon is that we are going to see what it's like when humans have available to them a form of freedom that they've never had available to them before in human history. And what does that mean for how people shrug off the the strictures, the overbearing strictures of culture or interpersonal rules, let's say, and become more, uh, become a higher version or a more truthful or sincere version of what they are or, or can even discover about what they are and what they want to express and what they want to become. And I'm sure that's going to mean there's a lot of like wacky stuff that's going to emerge from that because it's by no means like a clear path of like, how do you expect express who you truly are when you're granted a form of freedom that you've never had to engage with or consider before. But ultimately, I, of course, I think it's a good thing because the more freedom, the better. Yeah. And wasn't, didn't Breedlove write an article about how Bitcoin was like, like a gay pride, like the early stages of Bitcoin or like the early gay pride parades where the, the people were just going bonkers because it was their first, (laughs) it was their first taste, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't in a derogatory way at all. It was like the, 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 when you release, uh, and, and what you were saying is like, you become who you naturally are, like with, without these shackles of, of ideations of societal um, or religion or, or whatever kinds of energetic shackles we might bear is what, yeah, as we drop those shackles, we're going to be dancing in the streets and that could be weird. That could be different for everyone, how mm. we dance in the streets. Um, but I, I do, I loved when, when uh, I think it was Robert Breedlove who mentioned like, yeah, you know, when you finally see the light and because it, it is kind of a mind blower to have everything that you thought about how the world works unravel or, yeah. or be laid, be laid bare. Right. 
the manipulation. I think Jeff Booth just tweet, tweeted the most powerful thing yesterday about um, the fact that your real estate value is, can be essentially controlled by a man who changes an interest rate you know, on a dial is not a market. It's a, it's a control system, totally. you know? So when that, when that, when that, those onion layers shed, fall away, then yeah, we, we do have to dance in the streets. And I, I do think you're right. It's, it's kind of an interesting paradox that this mathematical system, um, which I've always, tried to tell people it's like it's been released bitcoin has been released into the wild and it's it's out there like an element like it's 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 like oxygen in the atmosphere it's just it's there so but the paradox is as how, how that system could enable what you talked about is people becoming their authentically deeply you know un unfucked with true selves which is a natural thing like animals in nature or plants in nature uh you know they live by the laws of of nature but they don't live by morality structures that have been imposed mm -hmm. or, or just other you know other inputs societal inputs yeah and you know it's also the case i think as you mentioned when people get into bitcoin and they really they realize how fundamental money is and how it affects and influences to a large degree, the various institutions and cultural norms, like so much is downstream of money. Right. And so when you, when you replace yeah. the base layer, you have to reconstruct your view of pretty much everything, you, you know, politics, money, economics, government, culture, beauty, art, like it all is yeah. on the table for, for re reconstruction. But that also means that you, you kind of, if, if the context by which you even perceive yourself in relation to, which is how we perceive ourselves, is, is so dramatically changed, then how you see yourself is going to be different. And so what I find super interesting is that, you know, we construct our identity via the conditioning we receive from our family and our country and our culture and that kind of stuff and all the different signals we get from the culture that that we operate in. You know, it constitutes what we think is you know, our potential and who we are and, you know, so much. And when, when the, when the culture and, and all those signals become replaced by ones that we think perhaps are more truthful or more fair or more, you know, liberty oriented, I think it, we have to reconstruct ourselves in many ways. We have to say like, Oh, like right. I constructed myself based on all these different signals that are different or all these signals that are different now. And so what does, like you said, we, we're free to be ourselves, but in many cases, you know, because of the way that society and culture works and you go to school and you're influenced by these things and you're told these are the career path options and this is the life options. Yeah. When all that changes, I mean, you're very much confronted with the notion of like, well, who even am I really that I want to express? Like, I mean, what, what is most true about me now that I have the freedom or generating more and more of the freedom to actually express it? And that's by no means an easy answer for a lot of people, especially those that are coming out of an era of such divergence, uh, signaling and conditioning from society and culture. And so, you know, again, to, to your point about maybe the first response is, is just this explosion of exuberance because things have been held down for so long. And like, maybe yeah. we're in the period where it's just like, 
bang like who get like who gives a fuck right we just got to celebrate and try and all that kind of stuff and maybe in a you know a few decades or generation or five years who knows it'll settle down and and people will have the necessary uh information and the necessary um like examples and other people of how to reconstruct things to orient themselves in a way that they think is both proper and true to themselves in this new world that's emerging as a result of the base layer having changed. But, you know, we're, it's so early in this process that I think, you know, all of our software, as it were, like all of our kind of consciousness are being reconstructed or reoriented to around what this technology means for the world, you know, and our, and as a result, our relationship relationship to it. Yeah. And people are, people can be scared of that. That can be a scary thing oh, yeah. yeah, to just be, to, to have everything be like, Oh, wow. It's not, it's not, it's like, Oh, it's a new world now. How do we, how do we be like you're saying, how, how do we do this? Well, it's like you shake and, up the etch a sketch, right? It's like you have this big yeah. complex thing and then you just shake it up. He's like, all right, it's empty now. And I mean, this is why the yeah. analogy to like something like ego death, whether it be from psychedelics or from near-death experiences or from trauma of various kinds is so apt because it's kind of that process of you like being stripped bare and now beginning the process of reconstruction around signals or information that is more valid or more true and, and has right. greater options available to you. It's like a, it's like a psychic reprogramming essentially. Yeah. yeah and, um, or hopefully, you know, programming is, is a scary word, but you know, like a, it's like a, a psychic rebuilding from, from nothing mm -hmm. potentially. Um, and that's where like, there's some cool uh, intersections with Buddhism, you know, um, because humans, I think, I think the plague of humans is this uh, fixation with view, like attachment to view or belief um, view is like a, a milder word than belief, but, uh, people are so, uh, you know, people just so cling to their views so strongly. And I think that's one thing that, um, Bitcoiners are good at is, you know, like, oh, well, hold on. Allowing, you know, allowing myself to question my own view. Um, because that's the only way things can evolve is is without rigid clinging to view so i totally um, agree and, and i think simultaneous yeah. to that they, they also recognize that you can't just be like an open membrane to any old view and so i think this is part of the, the thing that inspires so many of us to make sure like we ain't no slouches in the areas that right. we're relying on our views right be it economics or history or philosophy or psychology like we want to make like we'll I think we're all very receptive to being like, we'll swap out a view if we confront one that's more rational or logical, or reasonable or more valid, but you're going to have to push me off of it. Like, I'm not just going to lay down and, and, and allow you to insert that different view, you know? And I think that's right. the way it should be, of course. Yeah. And, and, and the, the amount of time that you dig into a story can, can also, and there's proof of work, right? Let's say I read a headline. I'm like, Oh, you know, uh, Bitcoin uses too much energy or whatever. 
and then I can hold that view. I haven't done any of the work mm. to investigate yeah. that view, right? So that's obviously, I, I'm preaching to the converted, but that's why society is still fucked up because there's no investigation and beyond, there's no work being done. But as you say, uh, the views that, that we may have should be views that are well researched and uh, you know, well seasoned, let's say, and tested. And so, and I, I enjoy that process. Um, as an example, my, you know, a view that I might have had five years ago is like, oh, Democrats are great, Republicans are, are greedy, or just what, you know, like one of those stupid political <laughs> polarity views, right? right? And then, you know, like I have friends that's, that say the word Republican like it's a, um, like it's a mean term or something, like it's just so weird to, to go beyond, yeah, to go beyond an identity. And so, uh, that and that's another gift that the Bitcoin community has brought me is five years ago, I might not have listened to anything somebody said if they identified as a Republican or whatever, which is so, uh, I mean, that's, that's talk about rigidity and, and not allowing, um, you know, critical thinking into a view being held, right? I had a view that was, that was not perf perforatable, whatever, you know? And so when, when you open yourself up to critical thinking and free thinking, then first of all, you probably would not cling to an identity anymore, which, which I, I don't cling to. Um, but then you can just stick to facts. So you can drop the tribalism and, and, you know, dive in and do the work. So there's, we're back to proof of work. You do the work to assemble your view. And I think a wise way to be is to hold that view. Um, that's that, that view could always be, uh, reevaluated. Totally agree. And I, I yeah. think that point you made about not holding on to a rigid identity. And of course the, the previously mentioned notion of ego death or certain aspects of Buddhist philosophy very much, uh, expound upon that idea. One of the reasons why that's so valuable is because that allows you to remain humble enough to when you encounter a different view or a different argument or whatever, be able to, let's say, maximally empathize with the person making the argument. Like, how could I come right. to view the argument the way they're viewing it? And what better way to truly assess which one is more valid than to be able to fully, you know, basically to be able to steel man the other person's argument perfectly, you know, to be right. able to get in that mindset. And, and so often today, whether it's on the right or the left, but obviously, you know, I think it's a little bit more egregious on the left these days where the, it's such a tell, you know, that, that people are so rigidly hanging on to their identity, their ego, their ideology, that they lack the humility to, to do that. And so they just so hold on and, you know, they'll go down in a ball of flames holding on to, you know, a nonsensical argument. And they'll also just egregiously mischaracterize the argument or dismiss the argument of the person that they're engaging with, as you said, uh, because the, the requisite humility is not there 
to empathize sufficiently to understand the other person's argument, and then have the humility again to say, I'm go- whichever one seems most valid to me with a sincere uh, uh, attempt to discern the, the, the truest one is yeah. what I'm going to integrate into my perspective. And if it's theirs, so be it, because I'm better off, right? If, 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 if yeah. I'm after the truth, ultimately, and the most truthful, valid perspective, then I don't care about winning or losing these little scrambles of arguments. I care about constructing the best perspective possible. And so, sure, I mean, maybe we're on different sides of whatever, but you made a better point here. And so I'm going to run with that and I'm going to integrate that. But, you know, that is a, at least in the public sphere. I mean, it's, it's rare, but again, what's so awesome about this budding Bitcoin culture that we participate in is that that seems to be the, the norm, right? Not the exception. Yes. And, and um, an interesting point about those people that, that close off the other view and then they, they move to dehumanize that person with the opposing view is that's the essence of hatred. Mm. That, that's like, if, if, you, if you really go down to it, that's, like, that's how the Holocaust happened. It's basically, um, I'm, I've seen it with, with the way dehumanization is used in the, in the mainstream media, where instead of listening to, to someone's view, um, they, get, they get blocked off and labeled. And that's the end of it. And then those, those label. So, you know, Jordan Peterson is kind of a good example of that where I'm like, why are people so mad at Jordan Peterson? I keep, (laughs) you know, I literally, I spent about an, about an hour and a half trying to find anything mean that he said, he's not like, when I listen to him, I'm like, there's, there's nothing mean about this guy at all. Everything he says is very considered. It's, 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 yeah, it, it's, I mean, for fuck's sake, most of the time he's just crying about how powerful the experiences of gratitude he's having are, right? He's just there weeping and on all you know, I know. But then, you know, like I literally went to see, like, where, show me an example of him saying, you know, something awful about trans people or whatever. And then I found all these CBC headlines of like, you know, this university refuses to have Jordan Peterson, you know, known misogynist or whatever. And I'm like, well, please, you know, can somebody help me understand where this comes from? Mm. And, and then when you actually do the work and find the interview and you watch the interview and, and it's, it's like, no, that's not yeah. what he said. And, and that's not, that he didn't have any mean intention as far as i can see there's only a, a generous intention right i mean uh, i i think anybody would be well well liam here you know check out because sometimes people are are mean you know they're they're really mean and they're really fucked up but you see it you know you can find the clip or you can find something yeah. so so anyway but my point about when people are shut away like that, um, I mean, that's how the Holocaust happens. So that's like hatred. You, you mean in the, in that, like, there's such a, a willingness to dismiss and discredit and cancel the other simply because they think differently than you. And the, and that fact 
you know, aggravates you or angers you in some way? Like, can you explain a bit more what you mean about how that leads to, because it's, it seems, I agree with you. It's like a spectrum, right? And right. it's not like they're materially different, but how do you see it moving along the spectrum? Well, I think it's worse than that because you don't even know that they have a different view than you, that you might have the same view that they have, but you've heard that they are a misogynist. Mm. So you don't even, you don't even engage. It's like what you were saying, you know, the only way to get to true evolved thought is to just drop the emotions and drop the story and engage. Hey, well, tell me about your view to, you know, and, and so we, we always wish politicians were like this, but they're not. I think maybe they used to be. Yeah. So at the point that you cut off, that you're not willing to read what someone wrote or, 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 or you know, watch a pod, or listen to a podcast interview and listen to what they actually said, then you are basically in a state of delusion and you are creating hatred. I mean, it might even be sort of... Uh, homeopathic hatred let's say but you know that hatred can grow through more delusion and you know so we're, we're kind of saying the same thing but without the perforation into the view and an open you know rational discussion and like you said battle test my view battle test your view but as gentlemen or, you know, like as, as, as a human that can respect another human, mm. you know, and God, if, if the Buddhist, the one way the Buddhist teachings have helped me is to understand that everything we are, everything that we are is from our entire lifetime of causes and conditions of moment by moment, by moment, by moment you know, from the minute we're born till however old we are, just think of the random inputs that we've had, okay? So everybody has a, a full life of billions and billions of inputs um, that we have no idea about. Like, I have no idea, John, what, what your first 10 years of life were like, right? And you have no idea what the first 10 years of my life were like and all those billions of moments and, and causes and conditions that shaped who we are. If we can all agree that we all have these billions and billions of conditions that form who we are, then, then may we not just be like, oh, okay, this person here uh, let me, let me experience them. Let me honor that they've had a billion causes and conditions in their life. I've had a billion in mine. Um, and, and so of course there are going to be differences, right? Of course, there's going to be, uh, mental processes that move differently, but if you can just accept that, that everything is conditional, that in Buddhism, they say it's lawful, which is weird, but, you know, like a, a person who we think is an asshole, we can say that asshole is lawful because they, their life has causes and conditions which, which have resulted in this assholeism, 
right? That will, for whatever reason, that's the, the mode they need to survive, right? Mm. And so if we can see like, oh yes, uh, that person's an asshole. I, I see that's lawful because that person has causes and conditions. And it also it's my own story that they're an asshole, but you, you get the drift. Like right. who, who, whoever that person is, in my opinion, is lawful because of the causes and conditions of how they, of their entire life. So back to our point of hatred or whatnot, if, if you're going to just stop and cut yourself off from the reality that we all are lawful, then you're not playing and, and you, and you've, you're hindering the process of, of intellectual evolution. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. I, I, I agree. And I think it also speaks to, well, two things. One, like determining, determining what your perspective should be is like number one goal of life and all religions and all philosophies. It's basically saying, okay, you're, you seem to be a conscious human being in this reality. What should your perspective be? Like, what is the optimal way to view yourself, to view others, and to view the environment in which you're acting such that you optimize all of those things? And what does optimization of those things even mean? Like, these are the biggest questions yeah. there are, right? And, you know, there's a lot of really great attempts at answering them through the theological and philosophical literature. Um, but I think, and, and the reason for that is because it's so important, because it, it's how you see the world. Right. That whatever perspective you end up holding is what reality is to you. And I think what happens to these people that are, you know, the, the ones that we've kind of been criticizing here is that they're by virtue of the fact that that perspective, you know, subconsciously, they know how important it is for making sense and having a grip on the world for feeling somewhat comfortable and secure in, in the chaotic world that plus I think they they realize how tenuous that grip is, you know, how, how fragile or vulnerable that perspective is. And you can take two approaches. You can take the first one we mentioned, which is, okay, it's vulnerable and there's no way to be certain about what the best is. So I'm going to commit myself to consistent and like eternal probing and upgrading and trying to refine that perspective such that it can, I can map it as closely as possible to what is true. You know, maybe I never get there, yeah. but it's a, it's a hell of a valid enterprise as far as I can tell. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to not going to embark on the hero's journey, as it were. And I'm going to say, OK, based on my conditioning and the ideologies I've been exposed to and whatever, this is the, the perspective I'm going to force through the world with. And everyone who doesn't conform to it doesn't belong in my world, as it were, to use somewhat dramatic language. And I'm going to exclude them as such. And, you know, that exclusion may take the form of ignoring them, hating them, canceling them, or as you said, you know, on that spectrum, killing them, you know, just like they don't belong in my world. They can't be in my world. They're a threat to my world. You're the threat yeah. to how I see the world. And so I have to treat them as such. And, you know, I think that perhaps that is partly what characterizes uh, what's happening in the world today. And a question that I like to ask people if I, you know, am engaging them, uh, what, what's the right way to say it? If I'm engaging people that like are very disagreeable, let's say, or, or that aren't engaging in a, in a, 
a fruitful or mutually humble way with me is, and, and I ask myself this every day, which is, and it directs a lot of my own pursuits at uh, refining my perspective. But the question that is, what makes you think your perspective is valid? You know, like it, whatever your notion is, like if it's a political thing, if it's on COVID, if it's on whatever, like, cause in the world today, like, and again, I'll generalize again, but people who watch like the mainstream news and then just go on about their daily lives, like all those, so many people have very strongly held views on every topic that there is. It's almost like people feel an obligation to have a strong view on any topic. And perhaps that is because that is how you end up constructing your worldview. But you scratch the surface a little bit by saying like, okay, well, why, what makes you think that your view on that issue is valid or your perspective on that is valid? You know, and again, usually when you press a little bit like that, you find there's been very little proof of work, very little attempt. Yeah to actually make sure that that view is validly held. It's just been adopted by someone that they might trust or someone that, that they think is similar to them in, in a certain capacity. And so people are walking around with these, these perspectives that are so inadequately and poorly and lack the work to be constituted properly, or at least they optimally. Are, they are retweets, right? They're retweet, <laughs> right. They're essentially retweets, right? They're not original thought. Mm-hmm. No, and you're right. And, and that's a scary thing when you think of the mass number of people who are essentially thought retweeters. I mean, the, because there's so little critical thinking or original thought, and I'm sure you'll, you'll like uh, one day it was, it went from, <laughs> the narrative went from COVID to Ukraine. I remember that day, I was like, <laughs> What are you doing? Like, are, are you, do you give up the sovereignty of your brain so easily? Are you just, are you just like, uh, oh, download the download the latest story into my brain? I give you free permission to control my emotions and my thoughts. I mean, it was like that, and I just thought that was it was scary actually to think that people are so easily willing to give up the sovereignty of what's in their head. I don't, I don't let anybody put stuff in my head unless I want it in there. Mm -hmm. And and I think the world would be a better place if we were more um, diligent uh, keepers of the, of the ground of our mind. You know, like, I couldn't agree more. Like, like we, we got to, you know, you know, you have to, you have to, sh- before I'm going to let you in to my, to my view, you know, you, you don't just walk in here because yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, I think it's it, almost like what we're describing is like, what is the filter, right? So you get data from the world, be it from the TV or from your interactions or from whatever, what is the filter that it passes through to be valid perspective constructing information to you in your mind? And, you know, broadly speaking, I think, and it's not that this even has to have been malicious, although it's definitely, I think, take it advantage of in, in today's world, but like the data that becomes the most uh, attractive or valuable to the most people 
is the data that's figured out what that filter is because it, it can more easily go in. And so when you look at, let's just pick an easy target here and say mainstream media, long time ago, it was determined that like to get through that filter, okay, you need someone who's dressed well on TV, someone who doesn't use extreme language, someone whose emotions are in control all the time, someone who speaks at a certain cadence, someone who, you know, has uh, the requisite background to convey authority, someone who's, who's parameterized by dramatic music in between what they're saying, someone who's backed up by the legitimacy of the brand and how that brand is associated with the state. And, yeah. you know, all those multitude of factors have meant that, okay, right in, right through the front gates. Like th those have become, those tick the boxes on the filter. But I think what many of us who, well, you and I and Bitcoiners, broadly speaking, and many besides are starting to say, no, like those aren't the things that get through my filter anymore. Like, cause right. I've, I've determined that those things, you know, uh, they let in too much things that are, aren't actually true just by virtue of the fact that they cohere or conform to what the filters that have been established. So now we're creating new filters. And like we said about Andreas right at the beginning, like didn't understand all the things that he was saying technically, but something about his way of delivery, I could sense a sincerity, which allowed me to open the filter a little bit and say, okay, like I'll yeah. let this information come in for now. I'm going to keep watching you. And if you do anything that, you know, I'm going to keep observing you. And that might mean the filter gets closed off to you in the future. And then the data that got in as a result of it being open has to be taken out and tested again and scrutinized Revented. again. Right. But I mean, this yeah. is a process, right? Like what, what are we looking for to construct that filter to determine which data we should let in and which data we should not let in or, or get out? Yeah, I like the, the word sincerity uh, as a new filter, because um, if someone is sincere, like I, I find Jordan Peterson to be very sincere. If someone is sincere, because uh, you can just sniff bullshit, right? You can, you can just tell if someone's selling something or... or well, you if, can, but so many people yeah. still can't, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, you know, like if, if there's an ego that's trying to survive through what they're trying to do, but sincerity is a great filter, I think, because even if, if the person, the sincere person, and, and this is where, you know, compassion is a useful tool to have in your toolkit. Even if you're talking to someone who has uh, retweet views, um, but they're sincere, then, then that's, that's a nice invitation to engage and be like, oh, okay. And, and then perhaps um, make headway with that person or make headway with, you know, within yourself from what that person has to offer. Yeah. But you're right. These, these old paradigm formats of the broadcast news and the, the pancake makeup, um, no. Well, I mean, like, it's, so, it's, it, it leads you to think like how much is just appealing to the filter versus how much is actual useful data for the construction of a truthful perspective. And I think, you know, look at Rogan, right? Like his viewership is like 10 times or 20 times CNN, yeah. something, something like that. And, and, and I think most people would admit 
it's not that you agree with everything Rogan says. It's not that you take everything Rogan says as gospel. But to your point, I think what you do know is he's not trying to manipulate you. He's being blatantly himself and he's asking questions. And some of those questions you would have asked too, and other ones you wouldn't have, but at least, you know, he's not appealing to your filter to sneak something in, you know, that he's yeah. just boom laid bare. And it just so happens that he's an yeah. inquisitive and eloquent and curious guy. And to the extent that you're curious, that is useful for your own ends. But with, with the existing, you know, mainstream paradigm, they've, I mean, all they're trying to do is appeal to that future to the extent that I think so many of us now are like, you're too good at appealing like to the normal filter tick boxes that I don't know what you're actually trying to get in there, you know, get in under the radar as it were. And as a result, there's just such an extreme distrust, as, you know, yeah. that's being formed around those things because saying no to like not sincere enough. You need to come at me with, I want you to speak like plainly. I want you to look plainly. I want you to be here for your ends. You know, this is what the, the, um, I think this is an interesting development in our notion of bias in media. And I think by virtue of the fact that now everyone can be a source of media, let's say, because everyone can broadcast themselves to millions of people. Um, I think that, cause maybe when there was only like three news companies or news channels or whatever, name of the, maybe attempting to be unbiased was a virtue because you wanted to try to, uh, Prop, or, you know, you, you wanted to try to share information without a bias. But I think what a lot of people are, are recognizing these days is there's no such thing. You're, you're going to have a bias one way or the other, and it may be subtle and it may not be obvious, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to permeate that filter in some way. And so in this new paradigm, I think the best way to approach it is to recognize and accept and lean into your bias and basically say, this is the way the world looks, or this is the way I'm construing the information based on the bias that I think is most valid. Yes, of course I have a bias. I think, you know, I believe in these things more than those things. And yeah. now, now you have a multitude of options so you can balance the biases off each other to try to come to what you think is most true for your perspective. Not like just trying to force everyone into some false notion of objectivity. Because then we get, you know, we get things like hashtag science and hashtag trust Fauci as if that's just a, a, an eternal, inarguable truth, which is, of right. course, absurd. Yeah. And you, just what you were, when you were describing the differences between Rogan and, and like mainstream broadcasts, I just had this horrible thought of some, you know, some like internal meeting at NBC, like, oh, we have to come up with a new look you know someone who's more authentic and and, and we'll we'll be able to smell that too because yeah. you can't fake authenticity but but you're right i guess i guess if you can own your bias and and be um well yeah i i i'm just trying to figure out if you can own your bias and yeah, I guess that's that's an authentic way to do it is, you know, lay your biases there so there's no hidden agenda. And then at least your biases can be poked at. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because there is no perspective without a bias, right? You got to. Yeah, it's it's leaning towards one type of view, one ideology, one per, one set of ideas, whatever. Uh, I mean, maybe Tucker Carlson's a great uh, example, because like 
he clearly has a bias toward conservatism slash libertarianism slash, you know, uh, a Christian viewpoint or, you know, whatever it ultimately is. Right. And he doesn't hide that. He's like, I'm, I have that bias because I believe it's valid. And here is how I'm construing the world based on that perspective and, and, and that bias. If you if you line up with that, you're probably going to you're probably going to fit his or, you know, the way he articulates what he's seeing in the world is sufficiently valid information that it's either going to be entertaining or otherwise useful to you in some capacity in, in, in understanding what's happening in the world. If not, you can go in, in search of a, a bias or a perspective that you think is more valid. And then, as you said, I mean, hopefully you're exposing yourself to enough that you become capable at parsing what you believe to be most true, accepting right. the fact that everything is ultimately going to be, you know, subjective in a sense. And so you're going to have to commit to certain biases at some point. Yeah, I, I will confess that if I see a strong bias, um, my trust level drops and I'm less willing to do the work of listening to that person. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like if, like if, I guess an example would be like if if a uh, if a journalist writes an article and they they call ivermectin horse dewormer, <laughs> I'm like no. Or on the other side, if you know some of the right wing call call you know COVID the China virus. I don't know. It's just, it's just, I'm thinking like, well, you're spinning, you're spinning, you're spinning. Sure, I don't sure. want to, I don't want to weed through the spin. Like, mm. so I, yeah, I, I don't know if, if, if a bias, I guess my fear would be, well, it's, it's a fear that anyone might have is that the bias attracts the bias and then nothing ever gets truly, uh, you know, then it's just tribalism. Sure. I think what, what you're saying there, though, is that biases can have varying degrees of egregiousness, right? Like when, when does yes. a bias become like just a blatant either lie or uh, a lack of sufficient research in something? I mean, I think right. what we're looking for is valid biases. And then it begs the question, like, well, is it right to ca call it a bias if you really think it's valid? Like maybe it's more akin to like an interpersonal or intersubjective truth of some kind you know but of course that's that's hazy territory and yeah. so i'm not i'm not saying like and i agree with you but i think the the perspective or approach that we've been espousing or exploring in this conversation thus far is meant to be the check on that very uh like concern or danger of just like resonating with a certain bias and and giving yourself up to it Right. right. And as you said, like, oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm just one of those people now and whatever they say, like I'm down with that bias. I think what, what we're trying to say is like. Use the I mean, it's almost like you're using the bias to assess the sincerity of the person, you know, and or assess the, the capacity and or, or the like if, if Tucker were to say something about any given topic, it's not like just because he says it, you're going to believe it. You're going to say, OK, he has that perspective why you know like what amount of work or research or or contemplation did he put into developing that and based on my observation of those things how much 
how much should it spur me on to validate it myself? Maybe a little bit, maybe not that much, but you know, as we've been saying, the buck always stops with us. We're just, we're taking, we're taking in all this data and trying to figure out which is the best data to be working with. And then once, you know, if, if it's crossed that barrier of sincerity or truthfulness, because so much out there is just blatant, you know, lies of various forms, but if it's actually people being honest about what they're perceiving, well, then we can kind of work with that data and we can say, well, how much does it resonate with our own perspective and, you know, and how do we want to use it as a result? I guess what, what, what's frustrating to me is like, I've heard Tucker Carlson say really valid things, but it's it's sort of like packaged in the, in that bias. Right. Sure. And so like my left, yeah, well, my, you know, my lefty friends, let's call them. So it prevents that information from ever getting to them. Right. Because they won't even, you know, they, that that's just a dead end so so we we just create you know like i just wish there were people um you know people with with no identity that well i guess joe rogan is a good example where i don't feel like he has uh i mean like you said he probably has his own biases but he's not a politically affiliated or you know so I think that's really helpful to society at large. Um, but, you know, I've, I, at least now um, I will, you know, painfully listen to a Tucker Carlson thing um, just because I, I, I've seen evidence that there, there is truth being presented mm. from those sources that I formerly would have rejected outright. Yeah. And I, I think that's the right approach, you know, and also, yeah. first of all, two, I mean, two things with Rogan. One, I think you're right that he's kind of this, he's in this gray area where he's like, he fails to commit. And I'm not a libertarian. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Muslim. Like he's just in this, you, it's hard to nail him down, which is part yeah. of the reason why they've gone to such great lengths recently to destroy him. I think, because it's like, ah, we can't have someone who is like you? You can't Neutral. put in a box, and yeah, and, and can't neutralize in some yeah. way. You know, you've we've got to we've got to get rid of him. He's just he's messing everything up. But I also think you know, to what what's the difference between preferences and a bias, or you know, where do preferences come from if they don't come from some t- type of leaning or bias um, at somewhere up the chain? You know, like these things come from somewhere, and. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe we're, we've, we've beaten this one down enough, but I think it's, it's better to be upfront about what your current beliefs are and what your current preferences are and present the world to whoever is listening to you through that lens, be upfront about it. And then you just let them do with that information, what you right. will. Like I like watching Tucker Carlson cause I think it's entertaining. I know he's yeah. a TV show host. I know he's dramatic, uh, dramatizing things. I know, a 30 minute or however long the show is, is insufficient to cover in depth, such big like yes. uh, events that he's covering, but in the realm of mainstream media where there's so little um, truthful analysis, or again, what resonates as truth to me of what's going on, it's refreshing to see someone even address the topics and issues that 
seem to be getting ignored by everybody else. And so like, yeah. if I want to be, and for, so for me, it's mostly entertainment. I'm not thinking like I'm getting any great insight yeah. or, or perspective or information from Tucker, but to get up, to watch him get up there and laugh at the absurdity of so much of what's going on. It's kind of fun, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Totally agreed. And people have to have a sense of humor. God, come on. Well, that's the other thing. <sighs> Everyone's so fucking serious, you know? I know. <laughs> I know. We are going to die. Woo! <laughs> but I mean, so back back to your story. Bitcoin um, came on the scene two years ago, but you mentioned like five years ago, like being called a Republican you, is, would have been something you would take offense to. So what was it that allowed you to transcend th- this rigid view that and like this polarity that we've been exploring and ascribing to certain biases and become, for lack of a better term, more of a free thinker. So it started with, uh, you know, Bitcoin, understanding Bitcoin, but then going into the more philosophical aspects of Bitcoin, um, free markets. So, you know, like I might have. I might've been one of those person, people that are like, oh yeah, you know, um, capitalism is so bad or something, you know, like, um, but, and I have, you know, there's, there's these people that rant about, you know, capitalism and it's, it's so evil or whatever. And I don't think they even know what that is. And I mean, what, what is that? And also there's, you know, I'm sure Jeff Booth would tell you there's no, there's no free capitalism. Everything is just so um, manipulated and, and fucked up with. So, um, but back to your question. So, you know, just like digging into that, digging into that, and then thinking, like, oh wow, um, I actually had this goofy thing happen with me and my nieces at Christmas where we got a bunch of stickers and um, like my sister gave us these bags of stickers. They're just like logos of stuff. And um, I sat down with my, with my niece and she had a bag of stickers and I was like, I don't really like these stickers. Do you want them? And she's like, Oh yeah, I want the Harley Davidson sticker. And, and then she was like, I don't, I don't really want these. So we traded. So the point of my story is that we traded and I was like, Oh my God. Um, now I have all these things that I want. I'm a filthy and capitalist. She, <laughs> and she has all the things that she wants. So both of us are better off for having traded. Like, I know it sounds silly, but it was really a beautiful thing where like there was free will, right? I didn't give her something unless I thought, well, I can get this in return. But at the end of the transaction, I had way better stickers and she had way better stickers. So that's actually a really powerful teaching point that when humans gather and cause we have different wants and needs and we can, you know, share those different wants and needs and exchange different wants and needs in a, in a free flowing way, we all get happier. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's an additive thing. So anyway, I mean, it, it's obviously your question is, is hard to give you the the play-by-play of how I got there. Mm. But essentially it's a combination of understanding more about uh, 
you know, in, incentives, game theory, and uh, the, the beauty of free trade between individuals and diving into the delusion of the mainstream narrative. So it's, it's like a firestorm of inquiry that I engaged in that's brought that's a- me to nowhere. <laughs> but being, being nowhere is better than being tribally attached to a delusion. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. And I, it's, I've heard this story so many times now, which is why I, I may, maybe struggle to find the words, but I think it's beautiful because I just, what it sounds like is, again, what we've been discussing where you, you're letting go of a lot of stuff in order to come to a greater appreciation or a greater approximation of something more true than what you were using to orient you before, you know, and it's kind of like you, you already mentioned in this conversation, the term, like I saw the light and so many of us have, you know, and it's, it invokes this theological or religious language so often because it, it feels like that. It's like, wow, I can't believe that I was seeing things that way before, you know, I was blind but now I see, or at least now I'm starting to see like I'm, and you talk to these people and it's almost like their eyes are wider and and they're, they're engaging on on such different terms and their facial expressions are different. Like when you're talking to a Bitcoiner versus someone who's quote unquote, ideologically possessed. I mean, everything is different. The mannerisms and the, the facial expressions and everything. And it's, it's really interesting. And to your point about that simple example, I think what, you know, I I've, have been a big fan of Terrence McKenna for a long time, and I've told the story on the podcast before, but, you know, he used to say, and he, w- he would definitely be classified as like a lefty, broadly speaking, although I hate to pigeonhole them like that. But, um, you know, he used to say that culture is not your friend. And I, I think his critique was valid insofar as a critique of our current culture, whereby, as we've been discussing, it's, it's constituted on such false, perverse, corrupt signals that what it's generating is a people and a landscape of options that are not optimized. We we can do better, right? And obviously what we've been discussing is how Bitcoin allows us to see how much better that it can be. But that's the point is that it's not that culture itself is not your friend. It's that a corrupt or a culture predicated on corruption or on, you know, false signals can be far more dangerous and detrimental than one that's constituted on truth and truthful and pristine signals. And so what I'm excited about is that if Bitcoin truly is the mechanism that allows that to happen, that little example you gave with the exchange of stickers, whereby you both worked with the constituents of the environment to, to tease out of it what is most valuable. And so you got what is most valuable to you and she got what is most valuable to her because of your cooperation in conjunction with that environment. And so you blow right. that up to a cultural level and those things, the, the values that you're trying to tease out of that environment end up becoming culture, right? And so yeah. if we can engage in that process where there's no false information, where there's no corruption, then what we end up doing is we interact with one another and we interact with the natural world to extract out through our infinite number of exchanges, what is most valuable. And I think that means that in the so future, it's a flourishing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. And we're going to be able to better answer those eternal questions of what is the most valuable thing? What is the highest principle? What is God like? And how is it going to be represented in the things that we build into the culture by virtue of how we extract them both from it and ourselves? And right. who knows who knows what answers that's going to conjure up because we've never had such a pristine basis by which to to engage in those exchanges that elicit those answers. And so I think right. culture can be your friend and is very, very valuable and important because culture is just the result of those interactions between each other. It just has to be constituted properly. Right. And and it's like the the freeway of that interaction has to be open. And so that's what, you know, no, it's really cool. That that sticker trade was like uh, an example that maybe Jeff Booth talked about of, of abundance was created for both of us through the exchange. Well, yeah, and not even just I mean, abundance, but like, and just permit me to perhaps be a little bit I mean, I'm on this bent lately, so maybe I'm seeing things too much through, through this lens, but like that exchange is the first step toward finding God, in my opinion, because what okay. you're doing is you're, what's the highest value that you hold internally? It's the thing that most orients you. It's the thing that you believe is most validly to be oriented by the thing that's most valid to sacrifice your limited resources for. Right. And, and I think that, right that that is kind of the notion of God, but you're using that exchange and all the different exchanges you have to continuously as, aspire toward that. You say, I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm continuously using these exchanges of my own limited resources to aspire increasingly towards what I perceive to be the highest value. And I think that is kind of one's relationship to the notion of God is the highest value. And so I'm, I'm engaging in all these different exchanges of my limited self to discern that better. And the, again, the, 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 the better that those exchanges right. can be constituted with as little friction, with as little distortion, with as little exogenous information involved as possible, the more able I am to engage in that process. And over the course of time and over the course of millions or billions of exchanges, I'm inching closer to what I deem to be the highest value, the value that most orients me, the value that's most worthy of my sacrifice. And this the, is the why grand I like, the, the grand elevation, right? So the, right. And so that little golden trumpet exchange of, of, of your yeah. favorite stickers is, is an expression of you inching toward greater and greater and greater value as far as you are able to conceive it or uh, how it's constructed internally for you. That's a cool thing to chew on is, is like <laughs> the, the alignment of a material value, like that I value the stickers and a spiritual value. And maybe what you're suggesting is that as the free flow of value is created in the material world, so too can the free flow in the, in the spiritual world. Yeah, well, I don't think they're elevated. I don't think they're really that separate. The reason why you separate, value yeah. the stickers is because they're resonating or speaking to something internally that you value, right? And so right. this is why I often use the language that culture is kind of the just the externalization of our own consciousness. And to the extent that we have 
clarity around the things that we believe to be most valuable internally. I, you know, again, somewhat dramatically speaking, your own relationship to the highest value or God, that is the kind of the output that is culture. Those are the inputs of the output that is culture. And of course, it's a, a constant feedback loop between the two. Right. And if it can be constructed via an incorruptible mechanism of exchange, exchanging those values, which of, of course we've never had, but if that is the case now, then that, that feedback loop by which we continuously refine our relationship to that which we deem to be most valuable uh, should be optimized. And that's really a bit of, that's really Whoa. cool because that means that we might be able to more, we may be able in a better position to discern what is of the highest value. And we, be, we may be in a better position to manifest it in the world via free will and, and voluntary cooperation. And it, it invokes notions of like, you know, the kingdom of God, for example, to use again, dramatic right. or narrative language. Wow. That's intense. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's that. I'm going to sit with that for a while because no, because you're basically picking apart what, why do we value something? We value something because of a, of a spiritual sense of right. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it tra like ultimately it tracks back up to there, right? You can have intermediate values that get you there, right? Like, you know, your, your desire for the food may not have anything to do with God. It's like, well, I'm hungry and I have a physiological need, but somewhere along that line, it's like, well, I'm attempting to persist through the nourishment. What am I, what am I persisting for? What am I, what am I trying to persist right. toward, you know? And so, yeah. What am I, I think feeding? It, yeah, so it's all connected Literally. in that way. And again, the, if we truly have a mechanism for pristinely communicating what we find in each of our pursuits in that domain, then I think we dramatically accelerate our ability to, uh, well, to gain clarity around those things for ourselves, because so much of our own perception of ourselves and our own understanding of things is in relationship to the social and natural worlds in which we exist and then the capacity to the greater capacity to bring them about in the material or interpersonal or manifest or phenomenal world as a result of of a, what kind of cooperation this thing facilitates wow yeah that's cool that's really cool <laughs> <laughs> that's like whoa it's early on a monday morning for for I'll, I really appreciate that, though. I'm going to marinate on that one. Yeah, well, I've been marinating on it for a while. So, <laughs> um, you know, and it's it's a tough one to wrap your head around because the implications are so it's hard to uh, figure out what the implications are. You know, this is kind of why there's so much mind blowing going on yeah. in this space and these pursuits these days. So just a couple of practical things. I don't know if you can hear, but the the machines have showed up at my condo building. Uh, so there's a lot of noise going on here right now. Mm -hmm. And and I have to get to work. But I was <laughs> but I was gonna ask you if we could um, wrap this up, but I, I sure I was I, I wanted to ask you for a book recommendation for a pleb at my at my place in the ladder. I like to think we're all on this ladder. Yeah. 
and, and you know, there's people below us and there's people above us. So in well, terms of like your philosophical dancing around the subject, do you have a book that you think has really helped um, encourage that kind of thinking? Um, I mean, there's definitely been the, the one that comes to mind. Have you read Maps of Meaning by Peterson? No. So I've, I've, I've circled around it. I've been interested in it. Yeah. I mean, it by no means, it's been influential. I'll, I'll put it that way. And the, the way in which it's been influential has been in allowing me to see and at least from my perspective, extract more insight and wisdom from uh, religious narrative, broadly speaking, you know, and okay. with, with perhaps more of a focus on Christianity, but in the book, he, he goes into, you know, Sumerian, Egyptian, all that kind of stuff. And to really see, you know, to this point about to, to gain more of a broader perspective and maybe a deeper perspective on what value is how it operates, how we engage it, how it orients us. That book is like a masterwork at using religious narrative to explicate our relationship to value and meaning, basically. And so okay. that's been, you know, I've read it twice. It's, I think it's almost 500 pages and it's a challenging read because every single line has a lot of thought put into it. Like Peterson has mentioned several, you know, many times that he's like written and rewritten every line in that book 10 or 20 times. And so wow. it can be, it can be a slow read, but I, uh, a tremendously rewarding one for me. Okay. Thank you for that. I'll, what about, I'll, uh, what about you before, before I let you go, what, what kind of book rec do you have? Well, I'm just, I feel like I'm playing catch up to, to all you Bitcoiners. So, um, I, I've actually just bought Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> I don't know if you've read that, but I, I actually, I actually haven't. Okay. So I just love that there's this bizarre woman that everyone thinks is one of the greatest writers, uh, American writers. And I think she was Polish. So I'm just really curious, like, well, what, what's this Ayn, Ayn Rand all about? And um, so that's kind of, where I'm going. Cool. Well, you'll next, have, book. next time we speak, you'll have to tell me your thoughts. I mean, obviously a lot of Bitcoiners love that book and a lot of kind of uh, individualist libertarian types love that book. I struggle a lot with fiction, which is why I haven't uh, gotten through it yet, but I'll have to yeah. bite, bite the bullet at some point. I, I agree. And I remember you said you struggled with fiction when you were talking about the mandibles, when you guys were having your mandibles talk. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a fun book to read. <laughs> I did read. <laughs> yeah, the it, was, it was. It was. I like, enjoyed it. Holy shit. It I mean, was... particularly because you, I mean, you look at the world because how interesting would it have been even in 2016 when it came out? Probably way less. No, right? nobody how, like it was so prescient. I don't know. It was just so bizarre yeah. to, to, to think about the year that it was written. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. it was a cool book, though. Anyways, Liam, I appreciate the time, man. It's been great to connect and, and chat a bit. Yeah. I'll let you get back to your day. And, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future. Thank you, John. And I'm really going to work on this, this last chunk that you left me with about the, the, uh, 
the free value generate and generation aspects of this whole thing and how that can um, get us to the golden trumpets, as it were. Well, hit me up if you uh, have any special <laughs> insights, because I'm always looking to refine my own understanding of it all. Right on. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks again, John. See ya. Aloha. Let's go.